You're listening to The Philip Jordan Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to another edition of the Philip Jordan Show right here on Wiregrass Daily News Sports. I am your host, Philip Jordan, in-studio host and producer. Dothan Woods Football on 96.9, the legend. Happy Friday. Originally planned for school on a Thursday. Plans changed. We're coming to you on a Friday, and we're ending the week right. This is a fantastic Friday, and I have two great guests coming on the show today. I'll first be joined by Spencer McLaughlin. He is the host of Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12, also the radio voice of the Southern Utah Athletics. And uh, we will talk with him about the Pac-12, about Washington playing against Texas. We had you covered early in the week with Texas. Now we're looking at Washington. Next week we'll be previewing Alabama and Michigan. So got you covered here uh, when it comes to the college football playoff here on the Philip Jordan Show. But I said he also is the host of Locked On Ducks. We will talk to Spencer about the Oregon Ducks, in particular, former Auburn quarterback, Bo Nix. So really fun conversation there. Then after that, I'll be joined by Chase Robinson. He does Jacksonville State play-by-play over on ESPN+. Plus. So we will talk about the Jacksonville State Gamecocks playing their first-ever bowl game. They will be playing the New Orleans Bowl on Saturday, tomorrow, against Louisiana. Uh, that is a one fifteen kickoff. So we get Chase on here, and we'll break down the season. What does it mean for Jacksonville State getting to this bowl game and get his thoughts on this upcoming matchup? So a lot, a lot of good stuff here on today's edition of the Phil Jordan Show. You can check out the Phil Jordan Show podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review, and I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. Everybody, my first guest today here on the Philip Jordan Show, part of Wiregrass Daily News Sports, is Spencer McLaughlin. He is the host of Locked On Ducks, also Locked On Pac-12, which is a big reason why we have him on today, and also the voice of the Southern Utah Thunderbirds. Uh, Spencer, I appreciate you taking time coming on the show. Obviously, we're going to get into the Sugar Bowl, Washington, and Texas, but uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, great to be on with you, Philip, and appreciate you plugging my uh, my T-Birds there. It's a, uh, a you know an aspect of my career that not everybody always knows about, but one that I that I love quite a bit, and they just had a uh, their best football season in six years, so it's it's been a blast. I have an appreciation uh, for, for broadcasters. Uh, so whenever I have a chance to talk to one, uh, you're not the only one I'm having on this podcast uh, today. So I have another guest coming on later that he does that as well, covering the Jacksonville State uh, Gamecock. So I always enjoy it when I talk to the people that that get behind the microphone at games as it's the well. Best. It's the best. Like I, I love podcasting, and it's you know really fun. And I do the two daily shows that I host, but uh, like play by play is just when you get a good crowd. Oof, that, that that like that's like a high like for me calling a college basketball game when the crowd is electric nothing like that nothing yeah and you know when we do this we can always just pause or go back and re-record and i do high school football i'm, a, I'm on the producing side i'm in the studio but still there's something about 
mm-hmm. a live broadcast because yep. you got one shot at it. You got one shot to get it right. Is you know you don't get the real and, core, and, so. and it can be frustrating too. Like you know, the, I don't have a camera on me when I'm just you know calling the game, but if I mess up a call, you know, in in the moment, I am mad at myself. I am clenching my fists. I'll throw a pen on the ground. I'll you know like mouth a swear word because I, you know, obviously don't want to say it, but I need to like get the frustration out so that I can refocus. Cause you only, cause, cause like shit, you get one shot, you get one shot at, but when you get it right in the moment and you know it, best feeling in the world. Talk about getting it right. The pack 12 got it right this season. This, I mean, this, this season, that's the only way they got it right. They didn't <laughs> do anything else. Right. <laughs> on the field, on the field, on the field, on the field. There we go. On the field, they got it right. Ter- terrific season just for the conference overall. Of uh, course, with Washington winning Oregon, beating Oregon there in the Pac 12 championship game. Arizona, good year. Oregon State. And you had a lot of talking points. USC wasn't good, but you had Caleb Williams, what was going on there. Of course, Colorado and the Deion Sanders side of things, and just some other good teams too, as well. Just a very, very fun, interesting year uh, in football for the Pac 12. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it makes it all the more puzzling, frustrating, saddening that the league is going away because you look at this great season and all the storylines you mentioned, right? Colorado was the epicenter of college football for about an hour before people realized they weren't actually good. And, uh, you know, Oregon with Bo Nix and Washington and Michael Penix and the great games that they played and USC's disappointing year. And, you know, going into next season, it would be about – Hey, how can USC bounce back? And it's still going to be that for the Trojans, but they're going to do it in the Big Ten, of course. And I, I just think it's a shame. And, and I mean, the depth of the conference has never been better. I mean, you even look at a five and seven Washington State team that got off to a four and zero start, beat a couple of ranked teams. They knocked off a seven and five Wisconsin team for the second year in a row. They, they have, you know, a lot of difficult circumstances up in Pullman that are being exacerbated by this whole you know, uh, realignment nonsense, but Jake Dickert's a good football coach and they had a good quarterback in Cam Ward, who's in the portal now for the last couple of years. And I, I think that for the conference to to go out like that is on the one hand fitting. And on the other hand, it just drives home the the frustration that I and many other West Coast football fans have of why, why, why are we here? Why, why, why is this? Why are we doing this? Why is this going away? Look at this great product. Like by any measure, the Pac-12 is the deepest conference. And it was certainly one of the most entertaining, I'd argue the most entertaining, because you had big headline games like Oregon against Washington or Washington at Oregon State or a bunch of other great matchups. But it wasn't like the entire season boiled down to that. You know, when you watch the Big Ten, where, you know, four pack schools are, are going, Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, when you look at the Big Ten this year, there's like three games that are interesting. Michigan, Penn State. Michigan, Ohio State, Ohio State, Penn State. Every other game in the Big Ten, like I don't think I watched start to finish another Big Ten football game. I watched all of those because they were great. But there were so many great matchups in the Pac-12 just week after week. And you look at the Big Ten, you're like, yeah, wake me up when Michigan is playing a real football team. Mm-hmm. You know, wake me up when Ohio State's playing somebody who can push them. And you know, in the SEC, I think you had better competitive balance. In the ACC, it was pretty top heavy, I think, and. The Pac-12 just had so much depth. I mean, at one point in time, they had seven ranked teams. Seven ranked teams coming out of non-conference play. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, it was. And look, for me, someone over here in Alabama, all uh, the time zone, I'm in central time zone, Pac-12 after dark. That was Pac-12 after dark. Gosh, I, it never disappoints. So never, when I, never let you down. 
when I would look at the schedule for the weekend, I always say, okay, I know when the SEC or the games, you know, at six, six thirty going to end. Okay. Who, who am I getting at nine 30 central time? That was always a big thing for me looking it up. Yes. I know we'll still have those time slots, but it's just not the same. It's not, it's not going to be the well. same. It's not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because you put a game on at nine 30 does not make it the same as Pac 12 after dark. Nothing. I think the most, I think the greatest epitome of Pac 12 after dark was UCLA, Washington state in like 2000 and, 18 or 19 UCLA was down like 33 to seven, I think going into the fourth or they, and they staged some crazy kind the final score is like 67 to 62. Let me, let me look it up. It like, it was, it was insane. It was 67, 63 was the final score. UCLA scored 29 points in the fourth quarter to win and 50 in the second half. They were down 35, to 17 at the break came back and won on the road Pac 12 after dark that's what it, that's what it was right there yeah so no, nothing else can uh compete which the sec tries it they try to put an eight o'clock night game on uh once a year once or twice a year and uh they don't know they no. don't know how to do it right no, no we out no. west have perfected the art of take a late night game and just make it the craziest bleeping thing imaginable yeah, so it's a uh, it's going to be, be missed. But uh, let's talk about this Washington Husky team, thirteen and zero. What what were your preseason expectations for this team coming into the season? Yeah, I thought they'd be a Pac twelve contender, one hundred percent. I, you know, had them at ten and two before the season. They ended the year twelve and zero, and it's because they're just so good in close games. And when you look at the last couple seasons, you know they haven't lost since early October twenty twenty two. That's the last time they took the field. And lost a football game and you know they've been basically the same team for the last couple of seasons and that's been a really really good football team 11 wins that last year 13 this year going into the sugar bowl against texas where they're once again an underdog which i think actually benefits them because when you've won that many games in a row i think it's easy to you know lose that chip lose that edge that you need to play with to win but when you're you know an underdog Heck, I think it was a huge motivational factor for them against Oregon, and they outplayed the Ducks for for four quarters in that one. So, I, I think that for for Washington, they're just there's a team that when you come down the stretch in a tight game, you know they're going to be good. You know they're going to be well coached. They're going to have the right play call. They're good situationally. Their their defense is kind of hit and miss. When it hits, it's really good. But they've certainly had some misses on their performances this year. And I, I think that for them, you know, they've had some really good moments, particularly against Oregon, much to my chagrin at times, but they, they deserve a lot of credit. They've had, you know, really good stretches of defense and situational moments on the defensive side of the ball. And I, I think that they're, you know, a little bit better than people think, but it's certainly the weaker of their two sides because their offense is just, you know, you, you know what they're going to do. They're going to snap it back to Michael Penix. And they're going to take some deep shots that are wide receivers. And guess what? There's not a damn thing you can do about it. I don't care who your corners are. I don't care how good a position they're in. Penix will throw an accurate ball and a Dunze or McMillan or Polk will go up and make a catch. And you just can't really stop that. You know, the advantage in sports is to the person who's got the ball and is going to make a play. In football, that's offense. In basketball, it's offense. And in baseball, it's pitching. And Washington just knows how to use that to their advantage, I think, as well as anybody in the country. And that's what makes them such a tough matchup to stop. And, you know, Texas's front four, I think, is really good. I think they are physical. They are tough to run on. But guess what? Washington doesn't really care about running the football. If they can, they will. But if they can't, they can still move the football really effectively. 
Yeah, I think, you know, till you look at it, and it just for me, I mean, I've watched a few Washington games throughout the year, uh, taking them out, you know, with what they were doing. You don't really hear Dylan Johnson talked about a lot. You know, they're running back. Second I mean, team all-pack 12. Yeah, over 1,000 yards, 14 mm-hmm. touchdowns. But it's like, oh, yeah, they had – I honestly, when I was prepping for this, I was shocked that they had a 1,000-yard rusher. I because, think most people would be. <laughs> because just what you see with the aerial assault with Penix and the receivers, I mean, for – Odunzi, he has almost 18 yards a catch. Then you've got Polk, a 17 yards. So the big play down the field. You know, usually you got maybe one guy that's the big play guy, and then the other one's more underneath. Both of your guys like that. I mean, that's all, all, th- all three. That's that's the thing about him is those three receivers are all NFL guys. Odunze is going to be probably a top 10, no later than top 15 pick. He'll be probably the second receiver off the board after Marvin Harrison Jr. in in next year's NFL draft. All three guys can do anything and everything. Now, I don't think any of them are, you know, as prolific and in the run after the catch. Like, I, I think I think they're good and capable. But what they do so well to create big plays is not catch Juke a guy. You know, they're not going out there like Tyreek Hill or uh, what, what's another good compare? A, a Malik Neighbors, for instance. That's not really what they do. Penix is just so accurate with his downfield passing game and their route running is so good. Their contested catchability is ridiculous and their hands are phenomenal. Those three components, it's not that they they can't run after the catch, but watch how many times they set these guys up for screens. It's not very often because I don't think that's where they're at their best. When they are pushing the envelope, and what their offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb does a phenomenal job of, and he did a he, it was a master class against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, who had a really good defense. He got receivers matched up with Oregon safeties, and the Duck safeties could not cover the Washington receivers. Grubb knew that. And so every key situation, every third down, every time they needed a play, they would get a receiver on a safety, and it was game over, no matter who it was. McMillan cooked a safety a couple times. A Dunze would get matched up on safeties. And you can't shadow a guy because if you do, guess what? The other guys are going to get matchups that are more advantageous. It's a really difficult if offense to stop. Oh, and looking at defensively, looking, you know, at watch look, the numbers are great. Um, eighth total defense in the Pac 12. They give it 263 yards through the air. A game going against that Texas offense with Quinn Ewers and the way he's been playing last two games, he's been playing lights out. And then what they have on the outside, if Xavier Worthy is healthy to play in the game, you got AD Mitchell on the other side, a former Georgia player who's used to being in these moments. Uh, they found ways with with Johnson Brooks being injured to still run the ball effectively. How do you see the Washington defense going up against that Texas offense? Yeah, I was really impressed with their defense against Oregon in the title game. It was their best defensive performance of the year, and I don't think it's particularly close. I, I don't know that there is a second because their best you know, statistical output would have been against Arizona State, a team that ended the year 3-9. and nine. So I think that for Washington's defense, the key is going to be what they did against Oregon very well, and that's tackling in space because Steve Sarkeesian is a great play caller. He is really clever. He knows how to get his guys the ball in the open field and create one-on-one situations and say, you got to make a tackle. Well, Oregon's Will Stein has been doing that all season long and Washington's guys, they just make tackles. They, they, I mean, go, go watch, you know, just game highlights on YouTube and you'll see a number of instances 
in which Oregon players are brought down in the open field, whereas in the previous two matchups, which were both Washington wins, those tackles just weren't being made consistently. Bucky Irving was stifled. Troy Franklin had one of his worst games of the year. The secondary played exceptionally well for Washington, but the key difference for me was tackling in space. I think that is what you know unlocks the potential for this Washington defense that's got some high high caliber players. You know, ZTF and Braylon Trice, that's a dynamic, powerful combination coming off the edge to get after the passer. And then you have Edwan Ulofosio at linebacker, who is an all-conference guy. I think he was on like a third-team All-American list. He's been really good. And then their their key in the secondary, I think, is Jabbar Muhammad. The Oklahoma State transfer, he is a lockdown kind of guy. And, and I think that when he's playing well, Washington secondary, you know, gets a big, big boost. And uh, it, it's going to be a really fun matchup. I lean towards the Texas offense there just because, you know, they haven't seen any of these players before, whereas they had with Oregon and, and they were familiar with some of the stuff the Ducks were going to run. And I expect Sarkeesian to come out with a, a pretty brand new game plan. And I know there's a rematch of the Alamo Bowl, but I think you're going to see stuff from both of these offenses that you just haven't seen this season. And I'm excited for both of these semifinal matchups. I think they're going to be great games. And I think this one, you're going to have both teams over 30. And I, I do think Washington wins. Yeah, I feel like, like everybody's paying attention to Alabama, Michigan, which, you know, I get it. It's the the jerseys, the classic uniforms. You're playing at the Rose Bowl. But this one right here, I feel like, is the one that can steal the day, can steal the show. I agree. With with these two quarterbacks, and these all, it, it's going to be fun. But you're looking at two guys that are NFL quarterbacks, too. Let's be honest. Milrow and J.J. McCarthy are probably not going to be playing in the NFL. Nope. Uh, not very long if they do get there. At but least not, not not playing in the way that Penix and, and Ewers could be. Yeah. I, I think both guys are capable uh, of, of being you know franchise quarterbacks if they go to the right situation. Mm-hmm. So uh, anything else, any other keys to this matchup that you could think of? That, I'm not going to ask you my prediction when you're going to do that on your show. And number two, we still got a few weeks before these two teams play. So <laughs> you it's got, a little you gotta let the, you got to let the stuff marinate with the game oh, of yeah. this magnitude. Oh, yeah. You can't be can't be calling your shot too early. I, I think that for for Washington, their ability to to get pressure and Texas's ability to get pressure. I think that that dynamic is going to be really critical because what disrupts a great quarterback more than anything, pressure. Mm-hmm. And Oregon tried to blitz Michael Penix the way Arizona State did when they held him without an offensive touchdown in Seattle You know, back on October 21st. And guess what? Oregon couldn't get any pressure because Washington's offensive line is very good. And this is why you know I do like Washington in the game Texas's strength defensively is not their secondary, it's their front four, and they're really good. But guess what? Oregon's front is really good, and they have been all year, and they couldn't touch Penix. They did not pressure him consistently. He had time to throw. I think he's going to have time to throw again. I mean, you got NFL caliber players like Brandon Dorless on that Oregon defensive line. You got a former five-star in Jordan Birch who's been great. Yeah, I mean, they got a great depth of talent in that front seven and Washington's offensive line and their protection game plan was just better. It was just better. And if you give Penix time to throw, that's game over. You know, and the last thing I want to talk to you about, we're going to get out of here on this. Uh, of course, I mentioned at the top, I host a lot on ducks. And uh, as a guy that covers Auburn for last world on college football, <laughs> and you guys, the Oregon quarterback was Bo Nix the last two years, and I, I'm happy for Bo Nix. A lot of Auburn fans a lot have some negative feelings about him going to Oregon and stuff. I'm like, hey, 
get away from Brian Harson number one, and then two, just you know, sometimes change the scenery is the best. I just want to ask, how was Oregon able to get the best out of Bo Nix? Uh, because I'm going to tell you what, when he was at Auburn, it was always the Bo Nix experience. You just did from play to play. Mm-hmm. You didn't know what you was going to get. He seemed a lot more buttoned up, more polished while he was there at Oregon. Yeah, he he absolutely was. I, I think it was threefold. I think, number one, you gave him better offensive coaching. Uh, at Number two, you gave him a running game, which he didn't have at Auburn. And number three, you put him in a situation where, you know, he's the leader of a team that can actually compete in the conference and on a national level. And, you know, you give him players like Troy Franklin. He had a couple good receivers down at Auburn. But I remember watching those games. Heck, I remember watching the Oregon game that he debuted debuted in back in 2019. And, you know, they didn't really do a lot offensively in that football game. In fact, they caught some breaks and Oregon, you know, kind of handed them the football game in, in more ways than one. I know neither team played perfect, but Oregon, you know, had a fumble down inside the, the, the 10-yard line that got returned to the other 10-yard line, missed an 18-yard field goal, and, and a couple other things where they were just really sloppy in that game. And, you know, as I watched Bo Nix's career progress at Auburn, I, I just saw a guy who, you know, was having to play hero ball all the time. And he didn't have to do that at Oregon. He was allowed to just sit in the pocket, use his experience and knowing football as well as he does to where he's in complete command of Oregon's offense this year. And he was just allowed to sit back there and facilitate. And, I think that's what was missing at Auburn was the ability for him to not be pressured in the pocket all the time. He was one of the fewest sack quarterbacks or one of the least sack quarterbacks over the last two years in all of college football. Oregon's had a couple of great offensive lines. They had a running game, so they had balance. You had great receivers. And I think he had uh, some better offensive coaching as well. You know, after watching him for the last two years, I just look at Auburn. I'm like, how did you ruin this guy? What, 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 what do you, well, what were you doing down there? But the, the answer is, you know, you made the Brian Harson hire who apparently nobody wanted anyway. Yeah. Th- look, it gets pals on. I don't think his offense fit Bo Nix, uh, it either. That was another thing. Cause he, that's who was the coach when he went to Auburn. Uh, he had a great running back in tank Vitz because they can never block for him. And that was always an issue, which Hugh freeze is fixing. At Auburn right now is the offense line. Uh, real quick, for you out here, the new quarterback Dylan Gabriel, yeah, uh, coming from Oklahoma, who's a future SEC team that Auburn had to deal with. But uh, how does he fit in with Oregon? What they like to do? I, I think he fits in well. You know, ran a good amount of RPO stuff at Oklahoma. Will Stein, the offensive coordinator, who was a finalist for the Broyles Award this year, uh, did a really good job utilizing that in Oregon's offense. And I, I'm curious to see how much he runs Dylan Gabriel because. Kenny Dillingham ran Bo Nix a lot more last year than Bo ran this year, and Bo was a better player this year, statistically, eyeball test, health-wise as well. He got injured, and it derailed Oregon season last year when Bo Nix ran the ball in a third and goal against Washington before they could have you know, punched it in for a touchdown and iced the game. Instead, they end up losing. He's hurt, and everything kind of you know falls apart from there. So I think that for, for Will Stein, he's got a guy who knows how to facilitate, knows how to read a defense, knows how to get the ball accurately where it needs to go, almost 70% completion this year. I think Dylan Gabriel is a good addition for the Ducks and helps keep them competitive in the college football playoff picture. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be interesting to see, see him play. Play really great for Oklahoma this yep, year. Yep, he played Dylan well. Gabriel. And especially that Texas game. I mean, just the clutchness. He, he yes. showed he has that clutch gene, the way he controlled that last possession of the game where they won against Texas. 
Um, and Spencer, this has been fun. Uh, having you on, uh, we talked off here. We were supposed to do this last year. I got sick. It just couldn't happen. I'm glad we was able to make it happen. Me too. This time. Uh, for the listeners and viewers out there, uh, where can they find you and all the work you're doing? Yeah, I host Locked On Pac-12 and Locked On Ducks Monday through Friday. It's on YouTube. Both shows are and wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm on uh, X at Smalls underscore 55 and uh, at LO underscore Pac-12 and at Locked On Ducks uh, as well. Feel free to drop me any notes over there. But yeah, Philip, glad you're glad you're doing well this year and we we're able to make it work. Is is good to come on with you. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I hope maybe we can do this again sometime down the road. Absolutely. 96.9 The Legend is your connection to classic country legends. But Digio Strategies has other options too. News Talk 103.9 is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from 9 till 11 a.m. and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton middays from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America at night and coast to coast am keep you company and connected throughout the night plus fox news the alabama radio network and wiregrass daily news keep you informed with national international state and local news and with more musical choices like all the hits 1067 kmx today's country 95.5 wtvy and music 1077 digio strategies gives you more choices and more variety listen on air online and on our apps 96.9 the legend is just the beginning Everybody joining me next up here on the Phil Jordan Show right here on Wiregrass Daily News Sports is Chase Robinson, play-by-play for football and basketball for Jacksonville State over on ESPN Plus, does some high school football too as well, covering Oxford, Uh, so they had a good season as well, of course us down here, uh, we had a good season with Dothan, so uh, you know, good high school football, we we know what what that looks like, uh, both of us, but uh, Chase, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, man, really appreciate you having me on, Philip. It's gonna be fun. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I am trying to get all the uh, in-state schools covered with bowl season. Of course, the only in-state school that's not going through a bowl game was UAB. So uh, we got a uh, we got, we got good stuff here from from the state of Alabama when it comes to bowl season. Yeah, and, and I love that. I love the fact that uh, we have so many in bowl games, and and uh, I mean that just shows the level of uh, football here in the state of Alabama. Yeah. absolutely. 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 And I'm sure Trent Dilfer is going to get that thing going well up there at uh, at UAB at some point, too, as well. Now, before we jump into Jacksonville State and just kind of talk about the team and the, the bowl matchup with Louisiana this Saturday, just uh, for you, uh, how, how long have you been doing the uh, play-by-play over at ESPN Plus for the uh, for Jacksonville State? Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And about uh, four years ago, I guess, is when it, it all really started of the partnership with Jacksonville State and ESPN Plus. When uh, Jacksonville State was in the OVC, uh, they had the OVC Digital Network for a long time, and that's where all the games were, and they just kind of used the radio feed uh, to, to do those broadcasts. But when ESPN Plus came four years ago, um, you know, they wanted some local talent on there, and, and um, so uh, Mickey Shadricks uh, and myself, we uh, do the games, and, and Mickey's been broadcasting in this part of the state for uh, 30 years or so. Uh, Gerhard Mathigani, who's now down in Mobile, he was part of our uh, kind of rotation as well. But uh, yeah, four years ago, they 
they called on us as kind of the local sports broadcasters to do these games and and I've uh, seen some really great football games, some really great basketball games uh, while while do while in my time there in Jacksonville State. And I'm from the from right outside of Jacksonville. Went to school there, so uh, to be able to to broadcast the Gamecocks is is a lot of fun for me. So I'm gonna ask you, and I don't mean this as a joke. It, it, it will come across as that to a degree, but has anybody ever asked you uh, how is it is how is it to live in the state of Florida? Yes. And uh, there's especially, uh, you know, I'll see people, whether it's, you know, uh, SEC media days or something like that, where, you know, people are not really familiar with it. Uh, and uh, and they'll 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 say that and uh, have to correct them quickly. But, uh, yeah, if, if you're not familiar with you know, group of five football or FCS football. And even if you are, I think the big misconception is uh, it's Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, actually a couple of years ago, it was Jacksonville State and Jacksonville in the A-Sun champion or the A-Sun semifinals of basketball. And I was doing that one. And uh, that was uh, a lot of Jacksonville. You know, it, it was almost hard to, uh, to call that game with, with both teams having Jacksonville in their name. Yeah, there should be a rule against that. Uh, I'll, I'll in that situation <laughs> yes and uh and it, it, there should be but uh yeah a lot of people uh, uh big misconception on uh on and even with uh with jackson state uh because they go by jsu jacksonville state for a long time went by jsu recently changed the logo and everything to jack state to separate themselves because when dion went to jackson state uh, you know, Jackson State went on the map. People started saying JSU. Well, now there's confusion between Jacksonville State and Jackson State with JSU. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of confusion. Jacksonville State now kind of goes by Jack State instead of JSU. Uh, but Jacksonville University goes by Jacks as well. Some, so, yeah, there, it, there's a lot of a uh, lot of confusion there for sure. Uh, the only reason I asked that question, I have a friend of mine who went there for a little bit, I believe, and did his uh, his brother played there. So, and he always, whenever he brings that up in conversation, I know what he's talking about. Uh, as a guy that covers Auburn, I know about Jacksonville State. I know they're in this state and the football program and stuff like that. But then other people are like, "Oh, he played down in uh, in Florida in college." He's like, "No, no, no, no. That's that's in Alabama." But yeah, so that's the, that that is the main reason I asked that question. Oh, uh, you're one in the FBS, very successful. Eight for and here's the thing, Chase, that got me all year. Everybody was talking about James Madison, why they should be playing in postseason. Man, nobody was giving respect to uh, Jacksonville State uh, when it comes to that conversation, but they do get in because of the lack of uh, bowl teams. Yeah, and, you know, you, you go back to when this announcement was made a couple of years ago that Jacksonville State was going to move up to the FBS, you know, and even in the, the preseason this year, uh, if you had told me Jacksonville State was going to even be eligible for a ball game and the number of wins, I, I wouldn't have believed you. I mean, that's it's it's a big step up. So the fact that we're talking about Jacksonville State playing in the New Orleans Bowl Saturday is incredible. And for those of us who have been around this program for a long time, who went to school there, uh, like it's 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 amazing to see where this program is because again. For a long time, we thought this would never be the case, that Jacksonville State would never be in the FBS. That wasn't probably even an option. And so uh, 
the fact that they are now and the fact that they had the season they did, it's truly incredible. And uh, to start the way they did against the Conference USA team in UTEP uh, back in week zero and got the win, and that kind of started the, the season off in the right way, really propelled them uh, up in the right way. But, uh, yeah, to, to be sitting here right now saying that Jacksonville State's playing in a bowl game uh, this Saturday is it's truly incredible. You know, before we really look at the season for Jacksonville State, I will say this. We need one thing to happen. We need Jacksonville State and Troy to figure something out and get on the field again. Now that they're both in the FBS, uh, the old-timers, everybody – because, you know, right now it is Troy and South Alabama. That's looked at as a rivalry. But a lot of people I don't think know that back in the day, Jacksonville State and Troy, that was the rivalry when they were both – at the time when, you know, before they called it FCS, but back when they were down at both at that level. Yeah, it was a huge rivalry, and uh, like you said, a lot of the the older fans still uh, still despise the Troy Trojans, and uh, and it's it's funny because a lot of people in school now, or even who've been at Jack State recently, don't really understand that rivalry. Uh, but again, a lot of the older the older fans do, and um, you know, I'll, I'll say I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, but I would love to see it happen. I would love to see the two teams play, but um, I, w- I would not expect that uh, anytime soon. Well, just uh, on the joking side, I know one other team in this state won't play Jacksonville State anytime soon. That is the Auburn Tigers. So that's another one. Right. Yes, uh, for sure. They'll just go back to uh, 2015, and, uh, and and we'll see why on there. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, this, like I said, this year they go eight and four this season, and I guess for you. Uh, kind of bad for you because they had a lot of weekday games. Uh, so they get to call a lot of those games because they're playing during the week. But also, that's probably really good exposure the program got this year because you had five – it was five consecutive weeks. had a one Thursday, two Tuesday, and two Wednesday nights. So they had some really good exposure this year playing on those weekday games. Yes, they did. And, uh, I mean, folks will tell you there's some recruits right now uh, that say, I didn't really know about you, but I saw you playing on ESPNU. Uh, on a Tuesday night, you know, so it was a huge recruiting tool, uh, huge exposure for uh, for the football team and for the university. Um, it, you know, it's it's kind of like a built-in commercial for for Jacksonville State football. The way they were able to win some of those games too, and coming from behind, down, you know, twenty-one to seven or whatever at halftime, and coming back and winning the game. I mean, that's that's just a built-in commercial for your football program to be on national television, to win the way they do, to have a coach. Uh, on the sideline, like Rich Rod, I mean, it's it was great exposure uh, having those national television games, and I, that, you know, that's one of the big bonuses of moving up to Conference USA and moving up to the FBS is that you're going to have those opportunities to be on national television, and Jack State took advantage of those this year for sure. Yeah, and you know, how was this team able to make that transition and be successful? Obviously, you mentioned. Rich Rod being the head coach. I mean, you got a guy that has led power five programs and has done well, obviously from what he did at West Virginia, uh, most notably, but for this team, just making that tradition and you're one to be this successful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, there's a lot of these guys who uh, have been a part of the Jacksonville state football program with the previous coaches. They've been a part of it when they were in the OVC, when they were in the A sun and now the conference USA, um, and so I think for a lot of these guys, it was just they are now on the biggest stage of college football. They're in the FBS. They they knew what it takes to to be at that level, and they took advantage of that. Uh, but I think a lot of it does go to the coaching staff, to Rich Rod and the great staff that he has uh, to get them ready for what they were 
going to be up against. I mean, these teams, there's there's no doubt, were bigger, faster, stronger uh, than what they're used to seeing in the FCS. And uh, I, I think he did a great job uh, in the offseason preparing them uh, for, for what they were going to see. But these guys just bought into it from day one to this transition, knowing that they're going to be the foundation for Jacksonville State football in the FBS. And uh, they bought into that, and they, they've laid a great foundation uh, for what Gamecock football is going to be about. But credit the coaching staff and, and the players for buying in and, and really some great talent uh, on the field as well. Some guys who, uh, you know, have made a name for themselves now but definitely could have been on the roster at, at, at bigger schools but chose to stay and chose to buy into what Jacksonville State was uh, was doing. And looking at this team offensively, and if people have forgotten what a Rich Rod offense looks like, it's going to run. They're going to run the football with the quarterback and the running backs. They are fifth nationally uh, in rushing yards per game this year, two hundred thirty-two point three. Running back Malik Jackson, he's one of the best in conference USA, seven touchdowns, eight sixty. But the quarterback Zion Webb, six thirty-eight on the ground, um, and you know he has had to uh, split some time, you know, with some other quarterbacks. But just you know, his play this year. What has stood out to you the most? You know, he's a seventh-year senior, so he's been around, been around a while, uh, and he, he he's got a lot of experience. And he hasn't he's struggled being healthy the last few years. He is, has has struggled with injury. So this year he came out, and I felt like, especially at the beginning of the season. Now, yeah, he struggled with some injuries mid-season, came back, uh, and and was it was good the rest of the year. But starting out the season, you could tell he was finally a hundred percent. Like, this is the Zion Webb that we've been waiting to see the last couple of years because he's healthy. And uh, he is, he's got great legs. He's a great decision maker and a great leader for this team. And I know uh, there were some other quarterbacks on the roster. We saw Logan Smothers throughout the year as well. But uh, you could tell Rich Rod wanted to utilize Zion Webb and wanted to give him every opportunity he could because that's the kind of quarterback that fits in Rich Rod's system. You mentioned he's going to run you and run you and run you. He's going to have five or six running backs on the field. Uh, he's going to have a quarterback that can run, and uh, Zion Webb fit that so white. You think uh, you, you think back to West Virginia and Pat White and some of the other mm-hmm. quarterbacks that, that Rich Rod has coached. Zion Webb kind of fits that. He's, he's that kind of running quarterback. He can throw the ball as well, but he's really dynamic on the ground. And, and I think we finally saw uh, this season uh, the Zion Webb we were waiting to see who was healthy for the most part. Again, he did struggle with some injuries, uh, but who is really a dynamic playmaker. And, and that really helped the Gamecocks uh, throughout this season. Yeah, I was about to mention Pat White, uh, you know, before, before you mentioned because, you know, when I think of West Virginia, with what they did, the best they were at quarterback was with Pat White and what he was able to do because he was a good, really good passer. I mean, everybody remembers how good of a uh, runner he was, but he also had that ability to beat you with his arm. And Zion Webb's that kind of player too as well. Yeah, he is, and uh, he he has a great arm and great receivers as well. Uh, and and uh, they were about four or five guys uh, going into the season. We knew there was two good receivers for this Jacksonville State team, but man, some guys really stepped up at wide receiver uh, as well this year. So there was you know four or five guys who you know at any given time could make a play on the ball, and I think that was was big as well for Zion having some good targets to go to and defensively. One, one, if not the best defense in Conference USA this year. Uh, first in points allowed at around 20 points, 
second in yards allowed, first in sacks. That's led by uh, Chris Hardy with eight and a half on the year. He's had three games with two sacks or more. Just uh, the defense, uh, how have you seen this defense this season? Man, they're, they're incredible. Uh, they're so fast. Uh, credit Zach Alley, defensive coordinator. Uh, he is one of the youngest uh, defensive coordinators in the country. He was the youngest when he was the D.C. at Louisiana Monroe. Rich Rod brought him from Monroe to Jacksonville when Rich Rod uh, went from the O.C. to head coach at Jacksonville State. So Zach Alley, is, he's uh, kind of a, uh, you want to say a veteran defensive coordinator, but he's only 31 years old. He is, uh, he's a younger guy, but he's really smart uh, coaching the defense. And, and he's had these guys ready to go every week. Uh, great game plan. But just a lot of speed on this defense, and uh, you know some some. You look at them, and you look at them on paper. You see them on the field. They're not big. I mean, they were outsized in every game this season, uh, but yet they were still able to make plays and uh, and do what they did. Seven takeaways in the first two games. They forced seven takeaways, and I mean that uh, that was a great start for the defense this season, and they really kept that up. Uh, throughout the year, but they kept Jacksonville State in a lot of these games. In a lot of these games, it it um, like the South Carolina game. I mean, they they kept them in there against Coastal Carolina against a really good Grayson McCall uh, quarterback there at Coastal Carolina. They held him uh, at at that point of the season. He hadn't been held to the yardage that that they held him to. So uh, Jacksonville State's defense is uh, was kind of a, a catalyst for this year. We talk a lot about the offense. But the defense kept them in a lot of these games and, and helped get the the wins that they did. I was super impressed uh, with the defense and and uh, again undersized in every matchup, but they got the job done. Yeah, you know, I'm just gonna throw this out there at you. At you. I know earlier they played Liberty and lost 31 to 13. Had they been able to play in that game, do you what do you, do you think it would have been a different out- outcome, different game than it was the first time? Uh, you know, I don't. I, I don't know. Uh, Liberty's good. Uh, yeah. They they're really good, and um, you know their their quarterback was able to do things to Jacksonville State's defense that no one else could do uh, this season. And so, uh, just the way they are dynamically on offense, I mean, it, Jacksonville State turned the ball over several times in that game, which really hurt them. Uh, but it was a that was a super fun game on a, what a tuesday or wednesday night or something but uh yeah that, that was a that was a really fun game and it was fun to see liberty uh come to jacksonville state uh, play under the lights and uh, yeah that was a great matchup so this week the new orleans ball uh would you basically i guess you're going in louisiana's backyard uh you're going into their state to play them it is 115 over on espn jacksonville state right now is listed as a three-point favorite 57 and a half the over under Louisiana struggled the last month of the season. There was a point during the year I thought I was looking ahead about midway of the year. So, okay, they play they they're playing Troy. That could be a big game for Troy. That could be a stumbling block for Troy trying to get back to some about championship game, which it was a good game those two played. But Louisiana struggled toward the end of the year. They weren't good against the run either. I think giving up like one ninety a game the last month of the season. When you look up this matchup with Jacksonville State and Louisiana, what sticks out to you? Well, you just said it. Uh, they're kind of inability to uh, defend the run. And uh, that's – Jacksonville State likes to expose people who uh, can't defend the run. Uh, so you know that uh, that's going to be a lot of Jacksonville State's game plan is just run it, 
and run it and run it, you know. And so I think that's one of the major things that sticks out to me about this game. But they do have some playmakers. They uh, they play – Sudbelt is – and I don't think people realize this or, or think about this, but that's a really good football week in and week out in the Sun Belt. So they're battle-tested. Their record may not show it, but, uh, I mean, they're battle-tested and they've seen teams, um, you know, better than Jacksonville State. And so – um, I'm looking forward to this one. You know, you, you look at the records and you think, oh, well, Jacksonville State's better. Well, this is going to be a really hard-fought game, and you mentioned it too. It's in their state in Louisiana, and so uh, I think it's going to be a really fun game. But look for Jacksonville State to um, to try to run for about 600 yards on uh, on Saturday afternoon, and uh, I think we'll see probably six or seven running backs in the game. I mean, they're, they're going to try to expose the Louisiana uh, defense there with the run game. So before I let you let you go, do I have a? Can we get a score prediction uh, for the game? Oh man, let's see. Uh, I think uh, I'll say forty-two twenty-eight, Jacksonville State. All right, sounds good, and uh, that uh, that will be hitting that over. So uh, uh, you know, we're in the state of Alabama, we're not really supposed to do that. But if anybody is listening outside of the state of Alabama, uh, I guess you can hit that over if you want to uh, take Chase's advice on that one. Uh, but anyways, Chase, this has been uh, this has been fun having you on. I uh, hope we do this again sometime. But uh, if the listeners and viewers wanted to follow you, where can they find you online? Yeah, uh, on Twitter uh, at Chase Rob Sports. Uh, give me a follow and. Uh, on Facebook as well, Chase Robinson. So, yeah, we'd love to connect uh, with everybody and uh, and would love to uh, come back on with you, but I appreciate you having me on. Love talking uh, Jack State football. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Chase, appreciate the time and look forward to talking again sometime down the road. Thanks, Philip. A new soccer club is coming to Dothan, Alabama, and you get to name the team. From now until December 24th, cast your vote for your favorite team name or submit your own name. Everyone who votes will get a pair of tickets to the opening night. Limit one pair per household. Go to 969thelegend.com to vote. That was two great conversations with two awesome guests today. Thanks to both for coming on this edition of the Phil Jordan Show. Now, as we get out of here, real quickly, I want to just go over the schedule, the bowl schedule, and just some sporting events going on over the weekend to keep an eye on. In the bowl schedule on Saturday, the Myrtle Beach Bowl will kick off at 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN. Six and six Georgia Southern will be playing nine and three Ohio in that one. Georgia Southern is a three and a half point favorite in that one. I'll take Georgia Southern to win that one. The Cricket Celebration Bowl between Howard at six and five and Florida A&M 11 and one. That will be an 11 a.m. kickoff on ABC. Florida A&M, they are a six and a half point favorite and I am going to go with Florida A&M. In the New Orleans Bowl, we just mentioned it, uh, with Chase, Jacksonville State at 8-4 will be playing Louisiana at 6-6, six and six, 115 over on ESPN. Jacksonville State's a 2.5-point favorite in this one. I am going to go with Jacksonville State to take the victory. In the New Mexico, uh, I about messed it up. I, when I wrote this one down, I about messed it up. It's the Avocados from Mexico Cure Bowl. That is a mouthful. Miami, Ohio at 11-2 will be playing Appalachian State, who is 8-5. 2-30, ABC, App State is a 6.5-point favorite, and I'm going to go with App State to win the game. In the New Mexico Bowl, and having them right next to each other didn't help me either. New Mexico State, that threw me off too, at 10-4 will be at Fresno State, 8-4. 445, ESPN, New Mexico State's a 3.5-point favorite here. I'm going with New Mexico State because, hey, they upset Auburn. 
They showed how good they are. They played a really good game. It's literally just literally just scored more points, especially you know any game I know. But up and down game. But I'm gonna go to New Mexico State. This one in the LA Bowl between hometown UCLA at seven and five. We'll be playing Boise State at eight and five. This is a six thirty game over on ABC UCLA. They are a four point favorite. And I am going to go with UCLA. The home team is going to get the victory here. And then finally, in the Independence Bowl, which I remember this was an SEC bowl, Cal at 6-6 six and six will be playing Texas Tech at 6-6. Six and 8-15 six. ESPN, Texas Tech is a three-point favorite. And I am going to take the favorites here. And I am going to go with Texas Tech to win the game. Now, you know, we've predominantly been football because we're still football season. But as we kind of – Wind this down. We're in bowl season in the playoff and all that stuff. We'll, we'll get into more college basketball here in the near future. But let's look at some notable SEC games going on this weekend. On Saturday at 11 a.m. on ESPN2, you'll have LSU at number 19, Texas. At 1.30, also on ESPN2, you'll have Texas A&M at number 4, Houston. At 4.30 on CBS, number 9, North Carolina versus number 14, Kentucky. At 7 o'clock on Fox, Alabama will travel, take on number eight, Creighton. And then at 9 o'clock on ESPN2, NC State will be at Tennessee. And on Sunday, Southern Cal will be at Auburn. That's a 12 o'clock game on ESPN. And for people out there that are NFL fans, on Saturday, we've got three important games for all these teams when it comes to playoffs. Seven and six, both teams, Vikings at Bengals, 12 o'clock on the NFL Network. All the Saturday games are on the NFL Network. Seven to six Steelers at seven to six Colts, three thirty, and then you have the seven to six Broncos at the nine and four Lions. Then on Sunday, some notable games: the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be at the Green Bay Packers. Both teams are six and seven. Tampa Bay trying to get an edge in the NFC South. The Packers trying to kind of get back in that race. They had some momentum before last week. They lost against the Giants. They had one three in a row, but that's twelve o'clock. On CBS, the Cowboys at 10-3 will be at the 7-6 Bills. Both teams trying to capitalize on big wins last week. That will be 325 on Fox. The Ravens at 10-3 will be at the Jacksonville Jaguars at 8-5. That is your NBC primetime game. And then on Monday Night Football will be the Eagles and the Seahawks. Eagles 10-3 trying to bounce back from the loss against the Cowboys. And the Seahawks trying to stay in the playoff hunt. 7-15, you can watch that either on ABC or ESPN. And that's going to do it for today's show. Now, this week we're Tuesday and Friday. Uh, we're going to have a show on Monday. Uh, Sunday night, I am supposed to be talking with Roll Tide Wire on AJ Spur. So we will be uh, talking Alabama stuff uh, with AJ coming up on Monday morning. That will be the Alabama preview for the upcoming uh, college football playoff game. So I'm very excited, as always, to chat with AJ. Anyways, I hope everybody has a great weekend. Enjoy the bowl games. Enjoy the basketball. Enjoy the NFL games, if that's what you want to watch, too. Enjoy the sports, and uh, we'll be back on Monday morning to uh, to talk to you uh, with AJ Spur. Anyways, until then, bye-bye.